Hello, adventurers. My name is Maximus, and I'm here with our good friend, Moves Like Jagger from the GGN crew. We are here for the Hello. second. Yes, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was in, I was in the zone. <laughs> We're here for the second iteration of Castles and Cantrips Tome of Knowledge, where we talk about D&D things and we answer your burning D&D questions. We have some fun, fun topics tonight that I think we'll be probably very passionate about at <laughs> different points. I think uh, so. If I sound a little off, I'm a little under the weather, but that's okay. I feel rejuvenated. Um, normal and wonderful as usual. It's all, it's all post-production. Thank you for that. <laughs> if anyone has post. connections with Burt's Bees chapstick or lip balm, <laughs> Max uses it all the time. And we will be happy to sing your praises. Sad. They never got back to me. <laughs> no? Dang. Never mind. Screw Burt's Bees. Unless they're interested, then. Unless. <laughs> Unless. <laughs> oh, man. Hope everyone's doing well. Sorry there was not a lot of uh, content last week. Uh, but I was on vacation. And I decided that I didn't want to spent a lot of brain cycles to make sure that stuff happened so here we are we're in between campaigns we're talking about D&D we're gearing up for some fun things like this Friday will be our first um CNC one shot, one shot. yeah thank you thank you I was, I was looking for the words in my brain our first CNC gotcha. one shot in between the campaigns um which is going to be featuring um me as a player most importantly, no, I'm not kidding. <laughs> not most importantly. Um, it will be featuring uh, moves as well as a player. Um, but we also have a uh, good friend, Jesse Heinig, as the Dungeon Master Extraordinaire. Uh, and some other friends, Kumo Gorogoro, will be joining the stream. As well as Nina Nikolic, as well as you may know her as Kid Kerrigan from her streaming days, will be joining. So we'll have a very fun uh, adventure for this Friday that I'm very excited for. It's going to be wild. Uh, I keep going back and forth with my character voice. I just, I should just do this. I'm like, mm, can I do that for three hours? And then <laughs> I've been playing some other games. So I was like, oh, I could kind of do this. And I don't know. I keep going back and forth. Probably like with Ron, it's, uh, it'll be decided as soon as my mouth opens the day of. Is that how you decided that? <laughs> just, yeah. It just happened. Wow. That's interesting. We'll only remember that for, uh, are uh, out of combat live coming yeah. up. <laughs> um, but most importantly, this Friday, 6 p.m. Pacific, the Maw of Many Worlds is the name of this one shot. So it'll be a good time uh, for all. So, with that being said, you want to dive into some D&D topics? Yeah, we have, we have a whole list of things, but uh, typically we just talk about two topics per, uh, what's it called? home of knowledge segments as we're doing these things uh on mondays now uh and one of them is things about fifth edition that frustrate us i can i can talk about <laughs> this for days so but. good <laughs> uh well why don't you start max what's let's start with a little little sum from your end okay um i was thinking about this and i i have a couple of things that frustrate me but I think I'm going to start at the macro view here. Mm -hmm. And typically, I think in the in the player's handbook, it describes the, the three pillars of Dungeons and Dragons in play. 
of which are social interactions, combat, and exploration. Those main three. I feel like exploration, in my opinion, has the least fleshed out rules out of out of any of the pillars. And it frustrates me because if you think about a, someone like the ranger, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they actively have spells that negate that pillar. They don't make it easier. <laughs> they negate that pillar <laughs> of, of adventure. So, like, for example, when you think exploration, uh, trailblazing, um, surviving in the wilderness, I have a spell called Goodberry that you can just eat without having to do anything. Okay. Yeah. Or, like, backgrounds, like what um, Max's character had in the first campaign. Um, was Wanderer uh, in that mm-hmm. respect. If I'm remember, remember uh, correctly Outlander, the name. I believe, right? Or is, is that a Outlander? I think, I think I you're think right. Outlander. I'm going to check just so, just so my brain can be at ease while I'm, Zeus, while I'm discussing Zeus confirmed. This. Yeah. Outlander, thank you. Because Wanderer is a different one. Thank you. Maybe it's not one at all. Um, but yeah, that is. It. And with that, uh, I'm going to read the text so I don't, misrepresent when it says i might be doing a lot of this just just to make sure ah so outlander the feature is called wanderer so i knew i got it somewhere Ah, i didn't make it up yes so the important part about this is in the second half in addition you can find food and fresh water for yourself and up to five other people each day provided that the land offers berries small game water and so forth you don't have to roll you don't have to do anything you just find it which once again, sort of negates the whole exploration pillar of D&D. Um, and I will say that the Ranger has some exploration utility built into it, but there's not a lot there. Not not really. And that's one thing that I wish would get, I don't know, get bolstered a little bit in, in the, the newest edition. But that I wonder, frustrates me. Yeah. I wonder if they had like some research studies or then had like some focus groups and like, what do you least care about? And when they came up with these pillars and people were like, yeah, exploration is boring. It takes time mm-hmm. away from the game or the story or combat or for the other reasons people yeah. played, you know, tabletop RPGs. Um, yeah, it just like, it happens, right? Like before you had a role of survival, but now you don't have to, as long as you have outlander background. And that's interesting that you say that is is you summed up the whole pillar of you just roll a survival check. <laughs> that's, that's it. That's it. That's all you got to do. You just got to pass some survival checks and you're fine for this entire pillar of like D&D. Um, I, I don't know. And maybe you're right. Maybe people just don't like that style of play. But I would argue that in D&D, you typically play the game you want to play. But it's yeah. hard to play a game you want to play if there are no tools in your toolbox for it. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, so yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't have any suggestions. I'm not a game designer by any means, because um, I try to stick pretty close to to rules. Because I'm, I don't like to adjust things without. Because I don't, I fear the implications that I can't see ahead. Um, but no, I just wish there were some more things about that, especially for people who like that sort of thing. Um, but. I guess I don't know. from personal experience, because I uh, I have another group that we play um online, and we're it's Lord of the Rings 
but we're using fifth edition as a foundation. And, you know, like Tolkien, like the books, it's all about describing and the journey and exploration. Mm-hmm. So that was like the focus of this campaign. And I, I don't, I don't like it. It's like, <laughs> it's like, uh, I thought it would be cool at first, but then it's just like, it kind of just drags out and it doesn't really lead to anything. Uh, it's just, yeah. So maybe there's a good reason that they're like, all right, you know, let's, let's put exploration on the back burner and yeah, like you can solve it with a background or a survival check. Um, I don't know. I'm curious what chat has to say if they, if they would be interested in like exploring exploration. I don't know. Yeah, and I think, I think what comes of it too is, is when you think of like what players want to do, like you need to reward them. If you want them to, ex- to explore, you need to reward them for exploring as well, right? Mm-hmm. There's inherent rewards to combat. You know, if you're doing XP, you get XP or loot or what have you. Um, there, there, can be, there can easily be made rewards for social encounters, social interactions, for, for getting access to places that you didn't previously have access to. But I think there's a lot on the DM of if you want your people to explore, you've, you've got to make it worthwhile for them to do so i agree oh um let's see i will uh, say what what trekhead said every team eventually becomes a game designer in the quest to find ways to make the game suit the needs of their players i agree to that in some cases but to me the, the <laughs> maybe i put the word the word game designer too high on like a pedestal because it's for me it's like just because i cook a lot doesn't make me a chef <laughs> Just because I DM a lot doesn't make me a game designer. That's kind of how I feel in in my head. <laughs> that's how it's. That's how it starts. You know, there's like a whole thing on how to incorporate Dungeons and Dragons into your resume, and that's like 100 percent something you can do. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I got my job at Obsidian uh, talking about Dungeons and Dragons and Final Fantasy Tactics in my interview. I'm pretty sure that's how I got the job. So. Hey, get me in a room with somebody. I'll talk D and D all day. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you're gonna mention something about chat or something else before I interrupted you. Uh, I was gonna move along and mentioned uh, like something I find that frustrates me to no end from fifth edition is uh, the feats. I I find that the feats in fifth edition are lackluster. And there's only like a core like handful of feats that are actually useful or beneficial and the rest is maybe flavor but why would you forsake flavor for like two stat points you know what i mean Let's see and i i came from third edition uh where you had, you know you had your milestones like third level you get your feet fourth level you get your stat points and you know it just happens every third and fourth level um and i i felt like and because of that, there's not really a way to customize your your character, uh, particularly in combat, because we were my friends were like combat heavy group. So it's just like, it's feel I feel frustrated where I can't make the character I want to create in fifth edition. Um, and then let alone like if in third edition, if you had two fighters, um, they can be completely different fighters based solely on feats. And then in fifth edition, you can't really do that. 
Yeah, I feel like, especially for like martial characters, there are really some go-to feats that if you care about min-maxing or keeping up with damage, there are some go-to feats that if you just don't take, then you're you're behind. Um, yeah. I, I see what you mean there. Uh, I think there might be other ways to fix that too, but I I love the idea of feats, and I will say that feats are optional as well. They're an optional um, rule in the player in the player's handbook, if I remember correctly. Um, but I think one D and D is going to go the right direction of that. The feats are now leveled, where you can't take certain feats until certain levels. Um, that might be the pendulum going the opposite way of you can't immediately take the super powerful ones. Um, so you have to take something else. But yeah, I think it just depends on the on the style of gameplay that you want to play to. Yeah, um, yeah, I didn't look too much until one D after like the whole fiasco of the, <laughs> the OGL. Yeah, uh, I kind of just like gave up on it. I was like, you know, I'm not even gonna bother anymore. Um, but I mean, it's it makes sense to like. I, I wouldn't say well, maybe because I grew up in with third edition and I first started playing D D with third edition. Maybe mm-hmm. like that's like the golden era of D D to me. I don't know how it is for other players. Um, but like, yeah, incorporating things from the previous edition is that people enjoyed and putting it into into the next. Uh, what is it? Whatever they're gonna call it, version or addition to Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and I see what you mean. Uh, it's always a hard decision because you're like, do I take this feat or do I just take two ability score improvements? Right? Because I was playing in a different game where I play a ranger, and I was mm-hmm. looking at all these cool things. I'm like, actually, if I just take two more points into decks, it's better than, <laughs> than any yeah. feats are gonna give me more often than not in this case. Yeah, exactly. Like to me, I think stat trumps uh, feats because um, you get plus one. If you get if you're upgrading your modifier, that's just that's a game changer for your character. Yeah. Um, especially well, like how low key magic is in fifth edition, where you, there's not openly available, where players can accumulate a ridiculous amount of gold and just like deck their character out, like in in third edition, where you're just like magic out to the max with the yeah. same amount of bonuses and stats and like that but uh i feel that yeah that's another thing that frustrates me is about the magic system in fifth edition where it's really you can't it's not openly available right you, can, you can't just buy stuff because there's no monetary value in mm-hmm. in the book and it's really up to the the dm to, to figure out how to how to you know reward the players with with magic items yeah Something that, that Zeus has said in the chat is that, that feats are more of a way to diversify rather than double down on what you already do. And I, I keep thinking about that, and I, and I'll say this forever. I love the way invocations work for Warlock. I wish that all classes had something like that. Or for minimum, like Fighter, Battlemaster. I'm one of the people in the camp that thinks that the Battlemasters should be base fighter stuff. Um, and I know that there's always the balancing act that they're trying to put with fifth edition of not being too crunchy, um, mm-hmm. to have this sort of wide appeal, uh, low barrier to entry. But I mean, there's so many things, and this is kind of going off tangent a little bit too, of like weapons, like weapons are just, they're, there's just like a, a, a dice, like a damage stick is all they are. 
very mm. like most of the time in most cases the type of damage that your weapon does doesn't matter except for very few very few cases with certain monsters uh i would love some more versatility in weapons too and i know that they had that earlier in the earlier editions and i know that they cut it for it was too crunchy but i don't know there there should be more more ways to differentiate your character and it's and it hurts that right now the main way for everyone to do that is with a feat but you're also sacrificing your ability score improvement. Yeah, that's why I think they should bring back what they did in 3rd edition is, you know, you have your capstone, level 4, 8, 12, you know, move forward, you get your you get your stat points, but then, you know, like, make it every 5 levels instead of every 3. Uh, if they want to, like, balance that out with, you get you get to pick a feat, but that's something they'll have to change moving forward. if. If they do adopt that idea, because you know, as it is now, there's not that many great amount of feats to choose from. That's that's the thing that that wizards typically does is is they they don't want to contradict the player's handbook. They'll never retroactively change things in the player handbook. They'll change things and they'll jump through hoops later on in different books to make things work. So I don't know. Maybe I'm holding out for the one D and D Marshall's stuff to come out to see what they're going to do specifically with that. There's. I, there's always a big to do uh, online of the the martial cat and the martial and caster disparity, um, and I think it's exaggerated in some cases. Um, but I think that I'm just curious to see what they do about it. You said something interesting that was on one of my points though, uh, when you talked about how magic in D and D you just can't go buy magic items. And yeah. You sort of tangentially hit this of of you can't get a whole bunch of gold and spend it on magic items. I wish. That there was more guidance on how players can spend their gold in D and D, right? I agree with the setting in that you. I don't like it where you can just go buy magic items and everyone can just gobble up magic items and deck themselves out. I don't personally like it. That's not like the type of game that I play. But I mean, I have Vin's character already pulled up um, because. I was looking stuff up. I mean, you've got thousands and thousands of gold. <laughs> Your just, sitting yeah. just sitting there, right? I mean, yeah, you can buy some magic items, but you have to go through a broker and do all that stuff, which I like that type of game. But, and there's the yeah, thing is, it's you did hard. A good job then. Yeah, I, I thought it was great. I thought that it made sense in the world. And I used some of what Xanathar's rules did, which I think are, are had some much needed expansion on that. But I. It's hard for me to point you guys in different ways that I think you could spend money without there being existing rules around that, right? Where like, hey, you guys could invest in, you know, a, a tavern and have some sort of passive income. Cool, that sounds that sounds great. How does that work, Max? Well, I don't know. I'll have to think it. I'll have to think <laughs> of it, <laughs> right? Or like, hey, we could make our own stronghold and have our own base of operations. Cool, Max. Um how does that work? What does that give us? Well, I don't know. I'll have to think of something up, you know, make it up if you want to do it. Because um, the reality is I'm not going to make something up for something in the hopes that you're going to do it because then I'd never stop. And there'd be a whole bunch of shit out there that you guys never use. Right. I typically do like, Hey, we want to do this. I'm like, cool. I'll figure it out. Um, and there's stuff out there. I know like Matt Colville's company, MCDM, they had strongholds and followers and I bought that. Um, but man, that's crunchy. I need something in the middle for me personally. Yeah. 
that's that's the other side of the pendulum there uh there's a lot to that book which i mean they're they're selling it so it, there better be a lot in it but mm-hmm. no yeah i think those are good solutions that you brought up but yeah there's there's zero guidance um like yeah we can invest in this village and make it a prosperous village um yeah and uh yeah but what's what does that mean how does that affect the world how you know uh how does that help the players and also helps the village and then like a, a global standpoint in the world it's just like very wild west uh approach about it because there is no copy but other than maybe if you like you go on subreddits or forums and talk to other players who've done these kind of things to like just make mm-hmm. make up you know homebrew stuff and there, in I will say that there isn't. I don't know if it's in the PHB or or the DMG. It's like a palace costs this much. Like, great, it's a thing and a gold value. But but what does that do? What is <laughs> what is what does a tower mean? <laughs> um, I thought that's really funny. Uh, what Trekhead said: legacy naming conventions. It's a great one. Chill touch is not touch. It has nothing to do with gold. <laughs> Cure hmm. wounds isn't healing wounds because hit points don't represent direct physical damage. That yeah, exactly. Good berry doesn't transmute berries, but it's a transmutation spell, and they just appear in your hand. And then uh, detect evil and good has nothing to do with evil or good. <laughs> yes, that's true. There's, there's a lot of legacy yeah. stuff in there um, that just doesn't make sense. Like case in point, rogues having long sword proficiency. What in fifth edition? What's a rogue gonna do with long sword? <laughs> right. <laughs> Throw it. Not use sneak attack ever. <laughs> yeah. Uh I think there's like maybe like a lot of oversights stuff. That that mm-hmm. just they didn't like sure, why not? If rogues want to use long swords, go for it. But yeah. I don't know. Just more often than not is flavor your rapier and you're better off <laughs> in that case. Yeah. Yeah, basically. Uh, yeah, Chad, if you guys want to join the conversation or have any questions, uh, then Max and I are happy to answer. Uh, another, another thing that frustrates me is uh, concentration spells. <laughs> like, I'm just making up a number, but I feel like 80% of spells in the book are concentration, and and you can't do it all. Like, it it sucks. It just, it just feels... I understand that like they okay well for third edition if you're a spellcaster you're you're basically a god like there's no, ma- mm-hmm. no matter what if you're a high level spellcaster you, you win that's just straight up so they had a they had to taper it down like in fourth edition they ho- homogenized all the classes like all right we're gonna give we're gonna have all the classes and counter powers daily powers and all this stuff and then but then everyone felt the same no one felt unique and then in fifth edition they're like all right maybe we can recalibrate what we did between third and fourth and try and then just limit spellcasters to only one concentration. Um, but then, like, I can't, you can't buff the party, so you don't feel like you're useful. Because, like, if you're trying to be a buffer, you, you can only really buff one person, and then the rest of the party gets, you know, asked out. And I don't know. It's just like, it feels, it, I feel so limited in what you could do, especially when, like, Ranger, for example, like, Hunter's Mark is a concentration spell. Like, why, why are you making it a class feature or a, that should be just a class feature. Okay. So I will, I was going to say, I'm going to counter you on everything on concentration, except that 
okay. ex- except Hunter's <laughs> Mark, because fuck that. That should be a class feature and not have concentration. But I, I, I like concentration in that the spellcaster has to make choices of, of what they want to do per combat. Um, and like what you mentioned, if there was, if, you know, even in, even in the confines of like fifth edition, if I was to give, uh, an enemy or a player for that matter, instead of concentrating on one spell, you can concentrate on two spells. Now that would totally change the game and, and, in in increase their power level mm. by a lot. Like imagine that, um, I like what it does, but I get how it can be frustrating, especially certain classes like, like paladin. Warlock, most of your shit's concentration, <laughs> right? Um, but yeah, I can see where you're coming from because it gets difficult, right? Um, only one at a time. If you're concentrating on a spell, you can't hold another spell, right? You can't use a ready action because you'll lose your concentration mm-hmm. on a different spell. But yeah, I see where you're coming from, but I like concentration to kind of rein some of that in. I think for me, I think a solution would be. Right, you can't have like five active spells going on at the same time. That's just ridiculous. But like, you can have one. But yeah, again, you said like if you have two concentration spells, and that that makes it this the ramping go up crazy. So for me, I think maybe if you could have one beneficial concentration spell and one offensive concentration spell, um, that'd be interesting. It would, it would still limit it, and not. I mean, it's still a power creep, but like, yeah, I'm interested in testing that out. And see mm-hmm. how it feels in like, like in a small like maybe like a four session campaign just to see how it feels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'd be interesting. One one beneficial and and one offensive. Um, you'd have to think. You'd have to rethink of what concentration. Um, is do you lose concentration on them both? Do you roll for them individually? Be interesting. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. It I would, would say the power both, level, but yeah, I would yeah. say you lose both, like because. You were having two concentration spells at once. Mm-hmm. So maybe the concentration DC is higher because if you have two active concentration spells, then the DC ramps up. But if you're just focusing on one, then it's just normal. Wondering, I'm trying to think of like, what if that was a feat? And then I was like, well, no, then everyone would take that feat that says spellcaster because it'd be a must have yeah. feat at that point. Yes. I'm thinking like, what if it was a class feature? That'd be a cool class feature, maybe. That'd be a very powerful class feature. This is why I'm not a game designer. <laughs> Well, that's okay because you know a lot of a lot of D and D is making up your own shit and playing yeah. the style you want. So you know maybe it's okay if you're if you're okay with having that kind of high power campaign or game setting. Then you know why not not why not test it out? Yeah, I've got another. I've got I've got a couple more things that frustrate me. Yeah, go for it. Um, one monster design. In fifth edition, mm-hmm. I feel like there are a lot of monsters and enemies that are just, I'm a sack of hit points and I can attack and that's all I can do. It's very frustrating. Um, case in point that I'll point to constantly, um, Albear. Mm-hmm. All that is is a, is a sack of hit points that has multi attack. Right, it's got different stats and stuff like that, but it doesn't doesn't feel doesn't Unique. feel special, doesn't feel good, um, which is why I stole 4th edition Owlbear stuff from the Owlbear that you all faced in the campaign, uh, because it's like an, an Owlbear is, is a, um, a, a, I'm not, 
prestigious isn't the right word. It's very, it's a very famous, well-known monster. It's it should iconic. have some. Yeah, it's iconic. There you go. Thank it's you. Iconic. It should have some pizzazz. Specifically to the, to the IP. Yeah, and all it is is like it can it can beak and claw you, Greasy. and it can see in the dark. It's just like come on. Yeah. Um. So and just, I think uh, this is mm-hmm. just a fla- different flavored bear, basically. Yeah, and. I think what I did, and I didn't do it well because that was really early in the first campaign where I was still trying to get my my sea legs underneath me. I think I gave it a, a screech power. Um, I I gave it basically a rage when it got bloodied. Another fourth edition term that isn't used in fifth edition anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't I don't think I played it off very well because it was still really early in the campaign and it was me kind of messing with stuff. But yeah, some some of the stat blocks are very very much lackluster. For me, um, where it puts the onus back on me to describing it accurately in combat, which is still it's just going to smack you and hit you. Um, but yeah, diving diving into previous editions and seeing what they did in previous editions helped me for sure in that regard. Yeah, as you said, fourth edition monster manual was fantastic. I don't mm-hmm. I don't know why they didn't carry that over in fifth edition because that's like one of the few things they did right with fourth edition. Mm-hmm. And so well, let me challenges. ask you a question. <laughs> um, how do you feel about legendary actions? Because as a player, it's it's I just find it annoying. I don't know how you because I haven't DM'd a game where I've used legendary actions. So for as as a DM, how how do you feel about that? The way that fifth edition works, a boss has to have them, especially if they're going up against the party solo. Just because the action economy, um, without legendary actions, you've got a party of four, party of five. They're going to get one action out of that entire round. Um, it, it's, it's needed because the the power can swing um, very easily when you just have more bodies on either side. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why um, when you're looking at like a, a CR for an encounter of whether it's like medium, hard, or deadly the more monsters that you throw at it the multiplier goes up because there's more chances of them to do things to you it's, it's essentially but i know how it can feel but it's a necessary evil for the bosses to feel like bosses if that makes sense to feel like they're a legendary creature um for the sort of their namesake um same way for legendary resistances. You guys didn't have a whole lot of those come across, and I know how that can feel pretty shitty uh, to a player, uh, but I think it's I think it's needed to sort of put those few and specific monsters at a higher level than just the rest of the of the the enemies that you face. Because mm. uh, the last thing that I would want is if you were fighting a boss, is for it to just feel like another sack of HP you got to get through. And that's not fun. And I feel like even in games, um, that happens where if you're fighting an important enemy, it feels the same just with more hit points. It doesn't feel good, right? It feels like a bullet sponge right. at that point. Uh, so That's yeah, my thought I've on always, it. always had issues with CR when it comes to building encounters. Yeah. Yeah, CR is tricky. Yeah, and the reason why I lean, I lean on it is, is it's not a great system holistically, but it's the system that I have, so I lean on it and then adjust from there. 
yeah, it's more of a starting point for me. And pretty much, I just use the encounter builder on D&D Beyond as a starting point. And then go from there. Yeah, exactly right. what, what Trekhead is saying is the action economy there. Yeah, I felt when we were doing campaign one, the action and economy got too crazy because we had too many, because we got really high level. So now we have too many tools at our disposal. So it gets really hard <laughs> to remember what we have. And it's like, oh, yeah. well, did, I, did I already do reaction? Did I do this? Or well, I already used my bonus action. Now I can't do this. So it's just like, there's a lot of mathing going on. Uh, mm -hmm. Kind of like, I'm like constantly trying to plan my next move uh, before like it gets to my turn. Imagine how I feel. Oh, you're managing I, like I, head monsters. Yeah, I feel the pressure on my end, and it might be, I don't know if it's a detriment to the show or not, is when it gets to a my turn, I try and go as fast as I can to to make things happen, so it's, it doesn't feel like it's slogging on even worse. Um, but... Yeah, I don't know. I will say the other thing that I had on my list of things that frustrated me are um, this is a very petty and very specific one, but the invisible condition it is so mm. confusing. It is so confusing. Uh, is it just it just says you get advantage on stealth, right? No, no. I pulled it up because I knew I was going to talk about it. <laughs> um, so invisible. For the purpose of hiding, the important part, you are treated as heavily obscured. And then it says your location can be detected by any noise it makes or any tracks it leaves. Right. So attack rolls against it have disadvantage. Your creature's attack rolls is an advantage. Okay. So then you jump over. Okay. What's heavily obscured? Right. Um, a creature effectively suffers the blinding condition when you're trying to see something in that area. Okay. What's the blinding condition? Let's jump back over to the blinding condition. Like, it's it's convoluted. And, it, okay, a blinded creature can't see. It automatically fails an ability to check that requires sight. Uh, attack rolls have advantage. So, it, it just seems, I don't know, it seems convoluted to me. And a lot of people, there's a disconnect. It's like, well, I'm invisible. You still have to use your action to hide, though. But why? They can't see me. Like, I, I don't know. I, it feels too, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't feel fleshed out enough for me. They went through the trouble of making it a condition and then pointed every other direction of how to explain it. Please refer to book three, paragraph five, page 356. Yeah. And you go to that page and it's like, please refer to book four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And just, and don't get me started on like hiding in general in D&D in &D as well. It's, it's a whole, it's a whole thing um, that is confusing in and of itself as well. But I don't know, especially when, so you think of rogues of how a lot of their some of their things depend on it but also don't that people always want to try and hide in situations where it doesn't make sense yeah i don't know it's it's convoluted <laughs> and, and not and not fun um yeah what else oh. do you wish DD did better let your hate flow i don't know i feel like we've been <laughs> we've been kind of spitting for 45 minutes here yeah um, i think we could we can transition over so let's not poop on it too hard but like um it comes yeah. from a place of love. We want it to be better. Yeah. Through these like frustrations and limitations, we can we can move forward and like how to improve your experience with house rules. For things you don't like about D&D, &D, you can make house rules to make to make it more enjoyable and 
and more fun. So, mm -hmm. um, like for example, yes, the hunter's mark is not a class feature in the spell, and it's also a concentration. Where I'm playing in my Lord of the Rings campaign, it's it's just a class feature, like, and it doesn't require concentration, mm -hmm. and that just it dramatically improves the ranger in like three times. Yeah, I've I've played in a campaign with that specific language as well, and it's great. It feels really good. It does feel good, and then you can you're you're open to do other things because, like at the end of the day, if you're a min maxer, you're just your hundred marks is always up forever. I will say because I've done quite a bit of house rules in in our campaign, um, one of which that I love that I've leaned on so much that I just lifted directly from fourth edition are skill challenges. I, yes. I I cannot fathom as to why there's not something like that specifically in fifth edition. Um, some of their stuff like like the chase rules, like not great, too crunchy. But in the chase that you all did, I used a skill challenge, and I thought that it went pretty well, pretty easy to understand. Um, oh, it's a, it's a great great solution. I'm I'm glad you carried it over from fourth edition. Yeah, they're fantastic. And if you're not sure what skill challenges are, essentially. You have a, a threshold of successes that the group needs to get. Uh, and there could be, uh, they have so many chances to succeed. And if they get that many successes, then the good happens. If they fail a certain amount of times, then the bad happens. Um, and it creates a sort of tension, an easy way to narrate through it. Um, the way that I like to do it, is like it sort of leaves it open-ended, um, is, hey, tell me what skill you want to use and explain why it'll work in this situation and let's see what happens. Um, some skill challenges have specific sets of skills that you can use. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I love them. I, I don't know if I lean on them too much. I hope that I don't, but I think it's a great way to break up the monotony of different things to do with your dice as well and different things to use. I think it makes it you feel good for taking skills at that point. It makes you feel good for being proficient in things. I think it's good for storytelling as well because mm -hmm. You know, meta-wise, players can know like, if I fail this, we fail the skill challenge, and something bad will happen. Or so mm -hmm. it creates a lot of fun drama in storytelling-wise. So I think I think it's great. With the skill challenge should be used all the time, well, yeah. not all the time, but yeah, like yeah, I don't think you're heavy-handed with skill challenges. Mm -hmm. So I think you've been in campaign one. You, I thought it was great. Yeah, they're a great tool in the toolbox. And I agree with what you're saying, Zeus, is that creating a good skill challenge is much harder than designing a good combat encounter. 100%. 100%. <laughs> um, agree on that one. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like I use them a lot for, like, chase scenes. And I think that they work really well for chase scenes, but they could, they could be done for, like, negotiations, all kinds of fun stuff. Um, and I guess that's technically a house rule or homebrew, but it's just lifted from a previous edition and the DC's changed to make sense for fifth edition. Mm. Um, what about you? Any, any house rules that you like or that you, that you run with? Uh, this one is probably controversial. Um, but I like to give barbarians and druids extra use of charge and wild shape. Uh, especially at low level, because I feel like having only two, you know, uses a wild shape is is too limiting. Because when I play a druid, I mostly use it for like investigation or exploration, or like if we're infiltrating a base, 
I, I use it a lot to, you know, uh, for like role playing or just searching for things rather than for combat. Mm -hmm. um, and this was me playing a, a moon druid, and I mostly used it to for like storytelling. So I felt like only having two really limited my character, even though it's like rechargeable on a short rest. But like, mm -hmm. not players don't short rest a lot. Like it's it's like they don't do it often. You do if you have a warlock in the group. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's something I do, and I I feel that it makes it more enjoyable and and gives player more freedom to to use it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can see that because uh, yeah. I feel like, especially if you're a moon druid, you you would typically want to save those charges for combat. Like you yeah. feel like you kind of have to, um, because then you'll be less than ideal in those situations. It's, that's interesting to think about. Yeah, it's just something that I do that caters to my play style or mm -hmm. my group likes. Yeah, and and at the end of the day, it's like what what is good for your group, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then a lot of this. One thing that I like to do when I think of like house ruling or home brewing, um, is I try to think of like what problem am I trying to solve, right? What what am I trying to solve for for my game? Because uh, you can add all the house rules that you want, right, and make combat crunchy or, or, or make people remember certain things. But I, I try to keep it to like what am I doing to make the game better, and then help that inform me what I introduce into the game. That's just something that I do. Um, so, for example, um, in the game Secrets Death Saves on their saving throws, um, mm -hmm. in that regard, the problem that I was trying to solve was to take the metagaminess out of death saves. Because I've been in a situation where, you know, a player is down, oh, he's got two successes, he's, he's fine, we can, we can keep fighting and then get him up later, right? Which is very metagamey. Yes, but doesn't doesn't feel like what would actually happen in in like this you know fantasy combat right you know um, I don't think if I watch my 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 companion go down and I look they look okay I'll keep fighting for a little bit <laughs> like no that's no, no it doesn't feel heroic it doesn't feel like you're in like the fantasy like action movie right somebody goes down it's like the onus of the, the party changes where we have to get them up we have to get them back to, to the end of the fight you know. Um, so that's that's kind of what I tried to do with the secret death saving throws uh, is they have no idea how many successes or how many failures they have. So it immediately creates that sense of urgency. Um, now, yeah, technically they might have a couple turns and they don't know where they're at, but they don't know how much time they have and how the battle can change. So I don't know. I, I really like that. And I think I think the players did too. Um, creates that instant tension. Uh, yeah, I I did enjoy it, and I was losing my mind when everyone went down and campaign one and uh -huh. changed everything uh, that I had planned, and it was just it it was full on panic mode. Uh, but it was in a good sense, not like I was dreading it, but I was like, yeah, and and that's what would you would expect, you know, Ron to do in a situation where multiple people go down. They're not going to keep fighting because they seem okay, like. He's gonna say, "Oh shit, my, my my friends are down. What do I do?" <laughs> you know. 
Um, but I also have another <laughs> another rule is that if you uh, if you roll a nat one and a death save, it only counts for one failure. I I just I don't like the idea of if some if you roll a nat one and a death saving throw, it's it's two failures because when players start when characters start going down, you can you can death spiral very quickly. Um, oh yeah. You know, case in point, you know, you roll you roll a nat one and a death save. You get two failures, and he walks up to you and crits you. You're dead, <laughs> one round down. You know, so that, that feels a little too swingy for me. Another rule that I like um, is that everyone gets a bonus feat uh, at level one. It mm-hmm. just it really helps build your character out, and you know, feel feel a little bit more powerful. Uh, I. We cause we haven't done that in the past with my group, but we just started doing it, and it, just, it feels it feels so much better. It's just like fantastic. Yeah, I I like it too. I think we're doing that for campaign two, actually, if I remember correctly. We are. But I we think are. I added a thousand rolls. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, yeah, I totally agree. It adds that little that little flair of just differentiation immediately to your character. That's what I, yeah. I like that. I agree with that one. Yeah. Uh, Zeus likes a house rule that when you are at zero, you can still be conscious, but can't take any actions. That way you can at least still have an emotional final farewell or croak out critical before passing out. <laughs> really amps up the drama instead of a binary of hero to zero. Yeah. I think that, that was interesting. from third edition too. Like if you were at zero... You you were still conscious, but if you took an action, then you would fall into negatives. Yeah, that's unless, interesting. Unless you healed yourself. Yeah, because I feel like yeah, cause, cause you're, if you're incapacitated, you're unconscious, and you can't really do that. Yeah. Um, I think I've played with that a little bit. Not exactly what you were saying, um, but. Pretty early on when an NPC died, they had a nice emotional. I just kind of, I, th- I feel like I had to let the characters know. I was like, you can't save him, but he's got some stuff to say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Pretty early when that happened. Um, I think that's that's a good idea. No, oh, yeah, I, I dig it. I did. There was one point when I, I talked to you, I was like, hey, if, if Ron ever goes down and, and just like dead, dead, could you let Ron have like a, a last moment before before passing out. Oh yeah, and you were like, I don't, I forgot what you said at the time. Where you're like, we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Oh yeah, that sounds like something I would say. Yeah, <laughs> that's interesting because I I didn't think how it would it would pan out, but um, yeah. I actually I don't I don't want to go into this because I don't want to give any spoilers away if anyone hasn't finished it. Um, but yeah. I feel like character deaths are something that can be tricky to navigate mm-hmm. um, and require a certain amount of finesse and some uh, and some teamwork involved there. That's what I'll say to that. Um, interesting you say that is where you say, Zeus, I will sometimes ask players in session zero if you had a choice, how would you like your character to die? There, um, early on in... Um, campaign one, we would have a pre-session uh, warm-up where Bun would find like an interesting RP question um, and ask 
um like you know what's your character's like stuff better than this but i can't remember all of them. like what's your character's favorite food or what would they be doing if they were doing this and um there was one day um that she asked um she, there were two separate questions on two separate days one of them one was what happens when you die in your character uh, how, what, what do they think happens when they die and another one would be what would you do today if you knew you're going to die tomorrow and i have their answers still written down <laughs> from that oh. because i was sitting on those for a while so when she asked that i was like huh great warm-up question type 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah those are those were great to kind of get people in the mood of rp especially when you're when you're playing a brand new character that you really haven't sort of lived in for a while. It really helps kind of get you ready to think in their mindset. I'm trying to think of any other house rules that I enjoy. I got one that I'm implementing in the second campaign based on direct player feedback from first campaign. Uh, I'm trying out the house rule to where if you are taking a potion of healing for yourself, it's a bonus oh, yeah. action. If you're giving it to someone else, it's an action. Um, and that's sort of direct player feedback. And I kind of get why they feel that way of... In D&D, it's almost always better just to keep hitting the thing instead of taking a healing potion. <laughs> it almost always works out better in the way that in the way D&D goes. Um, so I'm trying yeah. that a little... A little bit differently to see how that affects combat and if it makes it more useful um to them but we'll we'll, we'll see how it goes um I, I think yeah i think it will help but mm -hmm. um especially because yeah healing potions don't heal a lot and like it's basically something to use to stabilize someone or because like you know what's what's the average 2d4 plus two it's like what six to eight hit points yeah. and it just and does, doesn't feel good to, to heal that much yeah especially in higher levels and it goes back to what you were saying about how a lot of magical items are typically not easily readily available unless you're making them on your own or going through a broker and stuff like that so that kind of does create that disparity where at the level you you all were the higher level healing potions are probably better off for you and if you're what level 12 level 13 a regular healing potion is almost like a waste of your turn <laughs> unless you have yeah. to use it because the enemy's going to hit you for 20 plus and you're healing for you're healing you know, for like action of that yeah <laughs> yeah i i agree with that you're, you're bleeding chips at that point yeah that's true that's true um yeah i feel like i've done other other stuff any other house rules that you think that you like or anyone in the chat if uh if there's some house rules that you like that in your games so i can write them down and use them for my own no, I'm kidding <laughs> just interesting to hear what people like um with with their house rules i i thought of one a great one that oh. i wanted to introduce and didn't explain it well enough in the first campaign that came uh directly from zeus which i thought was amazing um is typically when you use like revivify um or other spells it says you have to use a diamond uh, mm -hmm. and this is almost purely flavor um, but he introduced a house rule that I loved and, and held on to is that you can use a diamond or a gem that matches the color of their eyes to bring them up, which I think is just super cool flavor wise. That is really cool flavor wise. Cause then that, that helps you 
distribute gems for loot. And they're like, oh, we'll color all your characters' eyes, which is very important for casters' cantrips. It's very important. <laughs> it's yes. very important. <laughs> it's very important. I'm I'm kicking myself for not bringing that up in the beginning of the campaign because I did not foresee how important characters' eye colors are going to be for the rest of the campaign. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I'm going to fix that. Um, actually, I should add that to the to our um, our session zero sheet because I I think I may have talked about it, but I can bring it back up. Plus, you have to think of every NPC we come across, you have to yeah. determine what their eye colors are. Yes. It's very important. <laughs> very, very important. Yes, the one thing that characters took notes on religiously throughout the campaign are, are the eye colors of every NPC they ever met. Zeus, Zeus has a house rule. Uh, D Degrade all cleric domain armor proficiencies by one category, except for the war domain. Mm. They, they're all proficient with medium, yes? Yeah. And then some are given heavy. Interesting. What, what's your thought process on that, Zeus? There's a lot of, there's like, yeah, like the cloister cleric feel where they're just wearing ropes and stuff, but most, not most people, but then there's players who want to be like, the war cleric or the battle cleric. Tired of all these tanky clerics running around. It's true. <laughs> uh, uh, Trey says, in my games, typically when someone drops to zero hit points, they take a level of exhaustion. This way, even if they get back on their feet, uh, thanks to healing word or something, they still have a lingering problem that makes combat riskier for you. Helps to cramp down on PCs rushing into combat with thinking about risk and tactics. I like that. And I that's think not, yeah, that's not bad. I, I like that. And I think that what would make that better is utilizing the one D and D exhaustion rules. Um, Cause I feel like fifth edition exhaustion rules, it can spiral out of control very quickly if they start stacking up very quickly. Uh, but now that's a really great idea. I like that. But yeah, I get what you're saying. It feels like more cleric domains have access to heavy armor than, than don't. Um, and I'm wondering why that is. You know, what were the thought process was behind that? Yeah, all good, all good stuff for house rolls. I'll make sure I didn't miss any. Not that I can see anyway. Uh, yeah, let's see why like nature of life Clerics should not have heavy armor proficiency. <laughs> yeah. Wait, does life get heavy armor? I don't think so, right? Life, I'm pretty sure they do. Oh, dang. I'm, I'm, I'm almost certain. Uh, I want to double I, check because my brain won't be able to handle it if I don't look. Who says yes? Yeah. I'll just defer to chat. But uh, I guess it's in the name because you're a life cleric. You want to be tanky and survivally and healy. I don't know. Yeah, I I feel like they shouldn't get heavy. Personally. Yeah, and, and what what Trek what you're saying um also helps build up some of the exploration pillar, I think, too, is when you're doing overland explorations and the characters run into a creature, sometimes um they find like tracks, the prey remnants and stuff like that. Uh, that way they can get an idea of what kinds of creatures are in the area without necessarily running into something that will wipe them out 
and they can make an informed decision to back off and go a different direction. Yeah, I think that's that's cool. That's really cool. It gets it makes the world feel lived in, which I think mm-hmm. is important. And it also kind of gives that subtle hint of of <laughs> um, hey, there be trolls this direction. Maybe you don't want to go that way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, there was many, many, many years ago when we were my friends and I did a campaign where. We got to a dungeon we weren't supposed to be it at because we were under leveled. Uh, but for some reason, we we did all the checks and bypassed all the things and just eliminated all the traps somehow. And we ended up being like a mega boss fight and um, the, the campaign ended that night. Wow. <laughs> and the DM, he did everything in his power to say like, hey, you know, basically like, you should you shouldn't be here, but we we're like no, nah, we got this. Like we were just, <laughs> just it was it was our fault a hundred percent. But we we're like we disregarded like all the warnings, all the signs, and yeah, it, and that's what happened. Yeah, I kind of feel like I kind of feel like it's it's hard as a DM um, because what seem like heavy handed hints to me might not seem that way to the players because I have inherent knowledge about what's happening that they don't, right? And I always find it hard to to sort of walk that line of, you know, giving them hints in the game versus like, hey, this shit will will mess you up. You don't want to be here. <laughs> That's a very hard line to walk, but I, I think that um, even, even if you cross that line and they still want to go, then, <laughs> then the, the, the players take it in their hands. They, they decided. Yeah, um, which uh, I don't want to talk about campaign one too much uh, because we're going to have out of combat live. Mm-hmm. But uh, apparently there were a ton of hints and clues that just flew over our heads. And <laughs> I would I would love for us to like revisit the VODs and then just have like cast commentary on like, hey, this is where I told you to do this thing. <laughs> and, you know, 25 episodes later, you guys finally did it. <laughs> so I yeah. would love to, to revisit and see all the things that we missed because it just like either flew over our heads or uh, we weren't paying attention or the, the hints weren't strong enough. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And that stuff doesn't bother me as a DM either. I, I, unless it's like super important. Like I feel like I'll let you all know it's super important, but if I give you a, a breadcrumb and you don't follow it, yeah, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't go anywhere. Um, it's it's there if you want it, and if you don't, then that's fine. Because ultimately, the players are going to follow the breadcrumbs that they want to they want to play. They'll they'll create the game they want to play. I'll just create the world that they live in, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zeus has another house rule. Uh, before embarking on an an adventure, the DM gives you X short rests and Y long rests. Players can choose to expend those after appropriate time sleep happens, or not to restore resources. This Helps address short rest heroes versus long rest heroes in the campaign and keep the action moving instead of everyone dumping all their resources in every fight and then taking a lunch break after. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that as a solution to um, to combat that. I know that in my DM style, I, I like to make it apparent that in certain situations, they can't long rest there, right? Mm-hmm. Um. And it comes in the situation where like, oh, we'll just leave then. I was like, well, things are going to change if you leave and come back. That that gives 
the denizens information that you're here and that they might be waiting for you next time. But I see that as a definitely a definite way um, to sort of combat that we take a long rest every time we do something. Um, it's definitely valid. I just don't like remembering extra numbers. <laughs> <laughs> we can hardly keep up with who, who's used their reaction, much less how many rests they've taken. <laughs> um, Action I'll economy say, is a whole another conversation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, one thing that I do um, that I that I think is pretty popular among a lot of D and D players is when someone wants to help with a skill check. What I do is is if you want to help then you have to be proficient in that skill mm-hmm. um, to be able to help for that skill check. And the reason why I do that is I've been in situations where it always comes up to where like, oh, I help, I help, I help, I help, I help, like on, on every single skill check. Um, mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know. I, th- I feel like that it... I don't know if it necessarily curbs that, but I feel like it gives players a specific sort of purpose if they've taken that skill, right? It makes sense to me is that if um, for example, if you are trained in, I don't know, perception, right? Someone's trying to find something, you can point out the things that you notice because you're trained in it. Um, right. Versus five people who aren't trained in perception just looking <laughs> and hoping that somebody finds it. I don't know. Uh, that's something that I do. I'm looking through our 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 next uh, campaign session zero to see what house rules I implemented. I think that's it. Most of them, yeah, yeah. You're, Zeus, you're confusing me because you're saying Witch Bolt discuss, and there's a game coming out called Witch Bolt. I think so. I'm like not sure which one you're referring to. He's referring to the spell, yeah, <laughs> and the. And the issues that uh <laughs> that are in that spell. Um let's take a look. Um push bolt, level one evocation spell, range thirty feet, concentration one minute, a beam of crackling blue energy lances out towards a creature within range, forming a sustained arc of lightning between you and the target. Make a range attack spell against the creature on hit, the creature takes one D twelve lightning damage. And on each of your turns for the duration, you can use your action to deal 1d12 lightning damage to the target automatically. The spell ends if you use your action to do anything else. Uh, the spell also ends if the target is ever outside of your range spell, uh, if that is total cover from you. So it's that concentration. A lot. So it's concentration. Um, if they step out of your range, you lose it. And if they step around the corner, you lose it. That's essentially the problems with it, is if I cast Witch Bolt and I, on you, using my concentration, blowing a first level spell slot, and your character steps behind a corner, it's gone. <laughs> I, f- I feel like that could be cantrip. I don't I think know. The, the recurring damage will put a little bit above cantrip status. Yeah, it does scale awfully uh, in that when you cast a spell using a second level or higher, you increase the damage by a d12. Yeah, I can see that. Problematic. Yeah, um, I don't know. I've never used it, so... <laughs> There's probably a reason why you haven't ever used yeah. <laughs> it. 
Yeah, it's the initial damage, not the sustained damage. The sustained sustained damage is always just the D12, right? So yeah, it's it doesn't scale very well at all. And you, you can't do anything else. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, if you spend your <laughs> action to do anything else, it ends. And uh, if you lose concentration, of course, it'll end. Yeah. Yeah, there's the it's a very lackluster spell, especially in that the sustained damage doesn't increase either. So you get that oh. initial, you know, you cast it at third level, you get that initial 3d12, and then you spend your action doing a d12 after that. Where if you are, let's say, a warlock that has access to Witch Bolt, you just cast Elder's Blast instead. <laughs> You're much yeah. better off. You don't have to waste your concentration, any of that stuff. Uh, as a DM, and we're on the, on the topic of house rules and how to improve, improve your experience with Dungeons & Dragons, how would you improve that spell? Um, I would ask Zeus what he did last time that I played with it and use that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't remember what he, what he did to, to fix that. Um, that's where I think that's where I, um, lack in that sort of homebrew, like homebrew ability. Um, for me, um, I, this is where I don't, I try to stay out of the game designer territory because I could try my hand at fixing it, but I don't know what, like what my tinkering with it will affect other things. Um, mm. Like my first thought, and, and I don't know if this is what, what you're fixed at Zeus or not. I'm just top of my head here is you've got to do something about that. That, um, the sustained damage, the action that you use after the initial one. Uh, it has to scale in some way when you when you increase um, the level that you cast it at. Otherwise, it's not going to be used. I think that's the biggest problem there. Um, I kind of feel like, especially like, let's say that I casted this spell like a third level, um, and if someone broke line of sight, just which could be very easy to do, um, yeah. that doesn't feel very good either. I feel for me, um, because, uh that to make it better the more turns you sustain damage the damage scales but that just that's it, interesting. that's a lot of math it is it is very uh, crunchy not very a lot of very me. crunchy but that for me that would be a solution but let's see yeah. what, Zeus, what Zeus says here All right, yeah this, see that's it, yeah this yeah so maybe i i just channeled what you'd already done and it was in my brain is so yeah if the range or action usage breaks the spell. It doesn't end the spell. It just breaks this sort of arc between them. And you still have it as long as you main concentration and can attempt to reestablish it again. Mm. Um, so you just make another ranged spell attack on that. And then the initial damage is only a d12. But the sustained damage scales up by a plus 1d12 per, per spell slot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like that's interesting. Feel like we could talk about the same thing for call lightning how mm -hmm. it's just a useless spell where it used <laughs> to be used to be god tier then three five uh yeah just because you have to spend your action to call down a lightning bolt yeah i i like the thought that you had of the longer it's sustained the more powerful it is i don't i think that's mm. a mechanic that i haven't really seen in fifth edition that I can think of off the top of my head. That'd be interesting to explore. Um, because that pretty much 
forces like the enemy's hand at that point of it pretty much puts a giant target on your back for the caster yeah <laughs> but maybe that's what you want i don't know well uh, yeah like the the whoever's being targeted by spell has to decide if they want to take the damage and go for it or find a way to lose line of sight or break concentration yeah mm-hmm in my mind, the way I, I don't know, it's because I'm in game dev for so long, or because I was thinking about Godzilla, Shin Godzilla. Like as his beam gets longer, it gets like super focused and changes, <laughs> <laughs> and then like the final beam is just like this high pitched, tiny little laser, which does like mm-hmm. immense, crazy amount of damage. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I think for, because me and my friends, we've been working on our own campaign setting for like 15 years, mm-hmm. world building, creating new races, like revamping classes, uh, having our own pantheon, and just like, at one point we were creating our own feats, but this is when we were in 3.5, and then with, um, and we played 3.5 for a very long time, because um, we didn't want to convert everything to 5th until we were like, you know what, let's just play 5th and see what happens. And mm-hmm. then slowly trying to convert everything, which was it's a monumental task. So I don't, and then now who knows what one D&D is going to change and all that again. Yeah. So we're like, we're used to like homebrewing things and like saying, this doesn't feel right. What, what can we do to fix it? And then mm-hmm. testing that out. Like when we play like, all right, this session, we're going to test this out and see how it feels. If it's, do we need to, if it's OP, then we got to tone it down. Or if it doesn't work, it just doesn't work and stuff like that. So I don't, I don't see why we can't do that for, for campaign two. If like issues come up and we could just like, you know, house rule or homebrew, uh, you know, for one session and see how it feels. But I don't know how that affects you and your storytelling element and how we're yeah. like trying to be entertaining and providing a show and a, and a service at the same time. Yeah. And I, f- I feel like, this might be a detriment on my part, but I don't want to introduce new things in the middle. And if they don't work out, take them away. Mm-hmm. Um, cause in my mind, cause it's different. If we're, if we're just sitting around playing at a table, we could do that. But if, for some reason yeah. in my mind, it's different because we're, we're, we're producing a show. Yeah, um, I agree. so I feel much more hesitant to sort of introduce things and then take them away if they don't work. Um, doesn't, doesn't mean I won't, um, but I feel like it would be something that would, that would be much more vetted, um, like some of the house rules that we implemented this time that I could, that I saw a need for. Oh, let's see. Cantrips versus wizards with weapons. (laughs) Wizards with weapons? Wizard has no use for a weapon in fifth edition whatsoever because of how cantrips are. (laughs) I'm curious yeah. what proficiencies a wizard has. Well, you're basically uh, an eldritch knight, right? If if you wanted to do that. Um, daggers, darts, slings, quarterstaffs, light crossbows. They have no reason to use any of those because they have cantrips that scale with their character level. Yep. <laughs> to be honest. Um Yeah. I guess the only reason you'd have to use those is if you were captured in your spell focus and your components were taken away. But the only reason. A flavor? I don't know. Yeah. 
but I feel like in that in that sense you're it'd be flavor at at the very much detriment of your character at that point yeah um at least in the higher levels man if hey that's something you want to do then more power to you i'm not I'm not gonna let you stop living your best dreams you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm not gonna stop you but uh i mean because i mean just look at like a fireball right um sure you it's it's 1d10 when when you are just a, a little a little wizard right um you look at these weapons daggers darts slings okay those are all decks like crossbow that's decks um quarterstaff strength right uh i think quarterstaff's versatile means they can use it one or two handed it's not finesse so so strength Mm -hmm. what are they going to do with that what wizard is going to put points into strength to use a quarterstaff that can get you at most a d10 when in four more levels your fireball's going to be better and it ranged yeah um and same thing for the other weapons. I mean, decks. Yeah, your wizard might want some decks, but I mean, what's a mage armor for, right? Um, still not enough decks to where you want to use the weapons over using in literally any cantrip in the game. So yeah, I don't know. It's it's it seems funny. They have the proficiencies, but <laughs> why would they use them? Interesting. Yeah, um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, yeah. At that point, it's just flavor. Yeah, like like uh, rogues getting long swords. That's <laughs> a <like> weapon <laughs> proficiency. I mean, sure, you can you can use it, but why would you ever? Because you would immediately not be able to use. Arguably, I would even say not unarguably your 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 class's main feature of sneak attack, right? Right, it's only you only get it with light weapons. That, uh, that finesse, weapon. finesse weapon. If I'm not mistaken, um, because you can get it with a rapier. I'm gonna look it up though because I can't help myself. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, a lot of finesse these, arranged. These could be solved by yeah, like house homebrew rules. Yeah, make you know the player feel confident or happy or, or at least uh comparable with like the other groups of wanting to play this kind of style um yeah how just a lot of work not a lot of work but i would say just ask the dm and then see what yeah. happens you know how how would i weave weapon proficiencies with a wizard if they wanted to use it <laughs> without breaking the game <laughs> i don't know i don't know i'd have to think about it off the top of my head, it's it's their spell focus. So because it's a melee weapon and their spell focus, they can use their spell casting modifier for to do those things. Mm-hmm. Just that's just off the top of my head. Yeah, you have but to then you're, for the damage too. But yeah, you're you're in melee as a caster, so. which is not yeah. generally not a good <laughs> idea for most casters at all. Clerics, clerics are great at it with all their heavy armor. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think this was good. Uh, yeah. Can't really think of anything else off the top of my head, but uh, fantastic. Good. Good second edition of Home of Knowledge. Yeah. Thanks everybody for watching. Oh, uh, if you didn't know. What am I doing? What's that? Never mind. I had it right the first time. I was mixed home and tomb all the time. <laughs> so I had it right the first time cave. and I ruined it. The cave of knowledge. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. Thanks for watching the second uh, iteration of the Castles and Cantrips Tome of Knowledge. I almost messed up there because I was thinking about it. Um, so thanks for your, your participation. I hope that you like these. If you didn't know, we're on YouTube as well. And you could watch us literally right now, uh, but not for much longer. But the bot will be up there forever. Uh, and I will eventually get this and the first one on our uh, podcast platforms. It just so happened that I went on vacation the day after we did this last one. So I haven't had time to do it. Uh, so, but yeah, stay tuned. Uh, this Friday, we've got uh, the Mauve Mini Worlds coming up. You don't want to miss that. We'll have an official announcement out tomorrow. A uh, little behind on the art and things. That's okay. Because uh, it's happening. So, life happens. Yeah, um, life happens, but it's happening. And if there are subjects or topics you would like Max and I to discuss uh, for the next uh, edition of Tome of Knowledge, let, uh, let us know in the Discord, on the socials, all the things, everything that you can find at castersandcantrips.com. Yeah, and put in, in the chat. In the comments. Put everywhere. in the comments. And uh, like and subscribe, and, and that really helps us uh, with the, the algos and gets our, our stuff out there. Yeah. Thanks for watching, everybody. We'll see you next time, and we will definitely see you on Friday, 6 p.m. Pacific. Be there. Bye, everybody. See ya.